Good afternoon. It is one o'clock. I'm Jacqueline LaBelle in downtown London. It's snowing minus four degrees, minus 12 with that wind chill. Make sure you leave yourself extra time as you head out on the roads today. The London region is still under a snow squall watch with Environment Canada saying we could see between five and 15 centimeters by tomorrow. Snow squalls are expected to develop off Lake Huron and continue into tomorrow with the arrival of a cold Arctic air mass. It seems accumulation won't be too heavy thanks to shifting winds that will keep the squalls from lingering over any one location for an extended period of time. With that being said, the squalls could become almost stationary near and north of London tonight. Officials are urging everyone to slow down out on the roads when visibility drops. A London City Councillor says her colleagues' comments on diversity and hiring at City Hall are insulting. Ariel Cayabaga is responding to Councillor Paul Van Meerbergen's push to stress that merit be the focus on hiring and not skin color, range of sexual orientation or ideology. He made the comments at yesterday's Corporate Services Committee meeting after staff presented reports about workplace diversity and inclusion. Even after being told that the city's hiring policy is already based on merit, Van Meerbergen still put forward a motion. It being noted that the primary hiring criterion be based on merit at the Corporation of the City of London. That motion received no support. Speaking today on the Craig Needle Show, Kayabaga stressed that London has been criticized for some time for a lack of diversity and failure to reflect the community. She also noted that Van Meerbergen's comments have an insulting implication. It's assuming that um, we're hiring people based on the identity group that they belong to and not based on their competency. Van Meerbergen has not responded to requests for comments. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has set February 25th as the date for by-elections in three vacant ridings, including the British Columbia riding where NDP leader Jagmeet Singh is hoping to win a seat in the House of Commons. Trudeau's called the by-elections for Burnaby South, the Ontario riding of York Simcoe, and Montreal's Outremont. The by-elections will be a crucial test for new Democrats who've been struggling to find their footing since their party was relegated to a distant third in the 2015 general election. The partial U.S. government shutdown is having an impact on the American craft beer industry. Ryan Burrow reports. During the shutdown, breweries and distilleries aren't able to get new labels approved by the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau. That's the federal agency that oversees the labels before the alcoholic beverages can be sold across state lines. That means bars and restaurants that specialize in rotating new lines of beers and spirits may instead have to stick with the old brands they already have. Even when the shutdown ends, bars say it could take some time to get their shipments back up and running due to the backlog. Brian Burrow, ABC News. Kevin Hart says even if the Motion Picture Academy asked him again to host this year's Oscars, he wouldn't do it. Hart says in a Good Morning America interview, he's apologized for his past homophobic comments. If it's accepted, great. If it's not, it's nothing I can control. Some things are left out of your hands, so I'm I'm done with it. I'm, I'm, I'm over it. Hart says it's too late for him to prepare to host the February 24th awards ceremony, but he does add it's hard to predict what might happen. No replacement has been named. You're listening to 980 CFPL. Look at our day in downtown London. How are things? Big day already in the Ontario Hockey League. Lots of trades. Londoner Nick Suzuki is now with Londoner Isaac Radcliffe, a couple of former junior knights in Guelph. 
We're going to talk some football a little later on. We'll also talk about yesterday and the London Knights Hall of Fame inductions into the Don Brankley Hall of Fame. So Walt McKechnie is going to join us in about an hour. He's a guy who played for the Maple Leafs. He's a guy who played in a number of spots in the National Hockey League. And stories. Get ready. Put your feet up. Walt McKechnie has stories. We have snow in downtown London. You know, I don't know where you were yesterday, but there was this guy, and he was on the radio, and he was talking about how winter had not started and We're might not close ever to arrive. Day. Yeah, that's the when guy. When the groundhog is supposed to decide whether or not winter is right around the corner oh, yeah, or whether him. or not we have six more weeks. What if we haven't had it yet? Mm-hmm. What does the groundhog do then? Yeah, that if I ever meet that guy, uh, tell him something, that's for sure. What is this? This is all of a sudden the winter. Now all of a sudden we do need to wait for the groundhog. We're going to talk about an event that happens on Groundhog Day, and this is something that you can get involved in. Here's what I want you to picture right now. You get to go back to high school to picture it, so hopefully it's fun. High school's a fun time, right? Prom. Prom. How was yours? For a lot of people, eh, it's all right. It's okay. For some people, disaster. Some people do not get to go to prom. Well, guess what? There is an adult prom that is being brought to the city of London as part of a fundraiser for the Princess Program. And this is a program that helps high school students who might not otherwise be able to afford to buy a dress, rent a tuxedo, helps them to do that because these are not inexpensive things to do. Prom is not an inexpensive time. And we're going to talk about that in about a half hour from now. But it gives you an opportunity to redo your prom. I'm not saying find your old date. I'm not saying that that's a good thing, especially if that date is married and has three kids. The last thing that husband or wife wants is, Hi, uh, is, uh, is Tanya home? Uh, sure, sure. Who, who can I say is here? Yeah, I'm her prom date from 1984. And uh, there's an adult prom, and I, uh, I was a mess that night, and uh, I don't think she had a very good time, so I was thinking... That maybe, you know, we, we could go to the adult prom and, uh, and I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll rekindle some old sparks. And uh, who knows? We might, might end up, boom. That's what would happen right there. You have to be careful. That's an easy way to get a punch. So that's not what this is. But you have an opportunity to go and do prom with maybe the person that you're with right now. Maybe that would be a happy thing. Don't be go leave the old prom dates alone. Let bygones be very bygone. But this time around, maybe you do it upright. So we'll talk about that in a half hour from now. Did you realize that we don't know how to eat? Uh, humans have been on this earth a long time. We don't know how to eat. The Canada Food Guide is making changes again. Now, we're not going to get into all the little tiny bits of what the Canada Food Guide is doing. But they're saying that we should get away from dairy. Well, doesn't that give you strong bones and teeth, isn't that something that we're supposed to want? And they want us to get away from meat and get into vegetables and other forms of protein. Okay, well, I know a lot of vegan people, a lot of vegetarians who are very happy with their lifestyle. Is that what they're pushing us toward? What do you have to do that way? Do I have to eat more lentils? 
I tried eating lentil soup for a while. Have you ever eaten lentil soup? Have you ever eaten a mud puddle? They're very similar. Lentil soup and a mud puddle. One has slightly more sodium. That's it. It's the lentil soup. They taste very similar. Mud puddle-ish. So I don't know if I can do that. If it involves eating lentils, I don't think I'm with you, Canada Food Guide. And we are also going to talk about... Aboriginal Healing Lodges, Abigail Beeman, Global National Reporter, is going to join us at 145. And we'll also talk about one of the top eight academic all-Canadians in, well, in the country. See how that works? When you're an all-Canadian, it's, it's across the country. Nick Vannon of the Western Mustangs is due to join us on the show. Have you ever had a, a thing, maybe a phone, maybe a tablet, maybe a laptop, and it broke and it needed servicing, and you were told, you know, we can't really service that because cracking it open, that that really does a number on your phone there, and it'll never be the same. So, yeah, we don't offer a warranty on that. Well, here's a story to watch out for, and I hope that this has some legs somewhere because that's a thing that does occur. We make disposable items, and as was said this morning, I thought this was hit the nail on the head. We shouldn't have disposable items that are $1,000. If you have a disposable item that you paid $1,000 for, you made a bad purchase. And I know we have them. Television sets, phones, computers. They're disposable. They last a certain amount of time. My father-in-law always told the greatest story, and it actually pushed him to become a university professor. I told this story before, but I love it. He was working for a place called Automatic Electric. And his job, this could have been his job for the rest of his life, and it would have worked out just fine. But this pushed him to go back to school. He was working on a phone, and he was working on kind of the design of a phone. And he was told, what we want you to do is to figure out a way that this phone can be answered 4,000 times and then break. And so he looked at his supervisor and said, you want, you want me to do what? Yeah, we want you to figure out how this phone right here can be answered 4,000 times and then not work anymore. It was one of those old rotary dial phones. And he said, I don't understand what you mean. Shouldn't we be trying to make products that last forever? And the guy kind of looked at him and said, what are you talking about? Last forever. We'd be out of business. We need these phones to break. We need you to put in some kind of cheap part so that it stops working. And then after someone has picked it up and put it down 4,000 times, it doesn't work anymore and they have to go out and get a new phone. And that's kind of the premise. And we're all victim to that. Well, here's what's happening. In the EU right now, the European Union, and in the United States, there are 18 states who are considering laws that would be called basically the right to repair and here's how they would work. You would be able to forego your, you know, out of warranty section in the fine print, and you would be able to get something serviced after that warranty apparently had expired, or even if that warranty says, no, 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 you can't fix this part of it. When this breaks, yeah, we'll need another $1,000 for a new phone. And there's been a big campaign, there have been a lot of proposals from environment ministers in Europe, believe it or not, that are saying, you know, uh, things like landfills, they're collecting a lot of plastic stuff with little bits of metal and who knows what they make the batteries out of. 
And yeah, we're not wild about that. So it's time for you to get better. And so, of course, we're going to see companies rebel against this because it hurts profit margins. I can keep my phone for 64 years. That puts companies out of business right away. We keep phones for, what, two years now? What do you do with the old ones? We now have a drawer, don't we? We have a drawer at our house. You open it up, it's got all kinds of old things, and it's got an old flip phone in it. Why do we still have that? Well, it has sensitive information on it. It doesn't have the charger anymore, so I don't know how anybody's going to get that sensitive information. But, yeah, I, we just put it in the drawer. Phone done, in drawer. That's kind of a process. So what they're going to try to do is assist the environment and assist consumers The European Environmental Bureau has said, quote, this restricts the access of independent repairers to spare parts and information, and that limits the scope and affordability of repair services. So they want other products like smartphones and printers included in legislation that would allow somebody who didn't manufacture it in the first place to fix your stuff. And that becomes a big part of this as well. So that you can take it to somebody else and say, this doesn't work, and you know how to fix it, and the person nods their head and they fix it. You give them a nominal amount, and you get to keep your phone, or whatever it happens to be. So watch that story, because that could have a whole lot of legs. Up next, though, we are going to talk about eating and the fact that we apparently don't know how to do it. As humans, this is not anything that is the fault of a parent or a grandparent. This is the fault of just us. We just haven't figured out what's supposed to be in our bodies yet. I don't get it. We've been around here for at least a couple thousand years. A little longer than that, it looks like. All those dinosaurs lasted for a while. We don't know how to eat? Apparently we don't, because there are changes coming to the Canada Food Guide. This is London Live. We're underway on a Wednesday. And again, if I ever find that guy who was talking about the weather yesterday, don't worry, I'll take care of him for you. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. When you got up this morning... What did you do? Did you have breakfast? How'd that go? Able to get the cereal in the bowl okay? Able to fry up an egg? Toast some toast? Yeah, probably went okay. How about lunch? that go okay? You got whatever it was you brought to work into the microwave? Or you went and hit the deli? Got a nice sandwich. We apparently don't know what we're doing in terms of eating. At least... That's my thought on things, because Canada's Food Guide is going to uh, reduce something. Now, I've never understood, to be completely honest, I've never understood this part of the Canada Food Guide in the first place. We have food groups, right? How many food groups do we have? Four. We've always had four food groups, right? We learn about them in elementary school. You'd get into grade one. We have four food groups. Okay. And you should eat from them. Uh Uh-huh. And you hope that was what was in your lunch. You had no control over that. Hey, does this candy bar count as a food group? I don't know where that came from. So we had what are the whole grains, if I get these right, vegetables and fruits. Uh, what else did we have? Milk and dairy, right? And we had meat and alternatives. Did anyone else have a problem with that? Because when you look at it, vegetables, I know what those are. Fruits, yep. Whole grains, yep. Milk and dairy, so yeah, things like cheese, meat, yeah, I got that. Alternatives. What is that? Alternatives. That just opens things too wide. We shouldn't have that. Meat and alternatives. What's an alternative? Candy bar? Apparently it didn't fall into that. But now we've got a bit of a change, and apparently we're going down to three food groups. We'll let Canada Food Guide figure all of this out for us, but apparently we'll go down to three food groups 
vegetables and fruits, whole grains, and protein foods. So if you're taking your SATs sometime in the very near future, and the SAT study guide that you're going from says four food groups, you might want to check on that one. You might want to call somebody because that could be changed. And I don't know how you argue that one. Could be the difference between a scholarship and not a scholarship. I don't know. But what we want to find out is how we should be eating because it should seem that by now, because we've been on this earth for thousands of years, we have documentation. People find bones. They find little old spatulas made of stone. And they say, wow, that was an old utensil for preparing food. We've been doing this a while. How is it that we still have to make changes? Because when you change, it kind of insinuates you're doing something wrong. Well, let's get some expert advice on this. Dr. Heather Thomas is with the Middlesex London Health Unit, where she is a public health dietitian. Dr. Thomas, thanks so much for taking some time for us. My pleasure. Shouldn't we have figured this out by now? Well, I mean, healthy eating should be intuitive, but um, nutrition is a science and it's always evolving. So we need to ensure that a very popular nutrition resource that's promoted by Health Canada is up to snuff in terms of the evidence um, and the advice that we're recommending. So that's why it's being revised. All right. Well, that's we'll we'll let them do that, and I'll follow along. Hey, if if they've got science behind this. I'm all about it. That's no problem. But one of the things that at least we seem to be understanding is an emphasis taken away from things like milk. Don't we need milk? Well, certainly milk is an important uh, food that provides our body with, um, you know, vitamin D and calcium, and it's a protein-rich food, and that's why it's going to be in that protein category if that's indeed what Health Canada decides on doing. Um, and so it, Health Canada is not saying that you can't have any milk anymore. Um, in fact, my understanding is that it will be promoting um, milk and milk alternatives, which are like vegetarian options to milk. So almond milk or rice milk, soy beverage, that kind of thing that are fortified. Um, so it's not really a lot different from what the current food guide is recommending. It's just, I think, going to look a little bit different um, and those you know, the the milk uh, food group and perhaps the meat food group might not be as prominent as it has been in the past. We are talking right now with Dr. Heather Thomas, Middlesex London Health Unit, public health dietitian, and we're looking at, at eating. Okay, so you've named off a number of things. Let's take the beverage section, for instance, because it used to be fine milk or have it delivered to your house. It came in the jugs. Now you've got a lot of different choices, and sometimes you'll look at it and say, well, that's soy beverage there. Is that any different than the can-o-coke that's another aisle over? When we look at beverages, how do we know that what we're drinking is getting us the nutrients we need? Well, that's a good question, and, and most of that information is already on packaged products available. So there's a nutrition facts panel, there's an ingredient list, there's a, a lot of information that you can glean from the uh, packaged product in the grocery store. What we do know is that those foods that do fall into Canada's Food Guide to Healthy Eating um, tend to be more nutrient-dense, meaning that they have the variety of different nutrients that our bodies need to stay healthy. And so foods that, like you mentioned, like Coca-Cola or, or other uh, sugar-sweetened beverages, really there's not a lot of nutrition at all in there, just they're calorie-rich, there's, um, you know, there's sugar in there that doesn't really do your body much good. And so we want to focus 
on those nutrient-dense kinds of foods more frequently. Um, and then just, you know, it's not like you can never have those other foods. It's just that you want to balance them out in a moderate way. And I know that moderation means something different to everybody else, but from a dietitian's point of view, you want to just enjoy them once in a while. Great advice. Now, when we're looking at, at labels, because we've been hearing that we need to read labels for a long time now. I don't know how many people are reading labels, but if we're looking on the side and we look for things like sugars or fats, what should we be looking for to know that we're getting a good product? Well, I mean, there's a lot of debate about this as well. Currently in Canada, we don't have recommendations for the amount of sugar you should be consuming. That said, in one serving size, um, typically most dietitians will say, look for eight grams of uh, sugar or less per serving. So you have to be careful um, because sometimes what you consider a serving is not what is labeled on the package as a serving. So um, a good example of that is potato chips. Like I don't know anybody who doesn't like potato chips, but if you look at the label, it will say one serving of potato chips is like 8 to 12 chips. But I don't know anybody really that you know, if they're going to enjoy the potato chips, they're going to count them out and then put the bag away, right? So we have to be sensible um, and think a little bit ahead about if we're going to be eating something that's a little bit high in calories, sugar, fat, salt, what else are we having in the rest of that day to balance it out? Well, there's a word right there. Dr. Heather Thomas with us, Middlesex London Health Unit, public health dietitian. Balance. How do we, is it, is it about keeping a food log? We hear that sometimes, or a food journal, writing things down to know what we've actually eaten. How do we keep balance in our eating habits? The thing that we have to remember, uh, Steve, is that healthy eating is not broken with one meal or even a day's worth of meals. It's the healthy eating pattern day after day, month after week after week, month after month that really makes a difference. So if we want to ensure balance, we want to make sure we're having a good amount of uh, fruits and vegetables at every meal. We want to make sure that we're consuming sufficient amount of fluid, so water and, um, you know, predominantly is the fluid of choice that we want to have. We want to make sure that we are, um, you know, having a moderate intake, a smaller portion of, um, you know, saturated fat. And those primarily come in animal-based proteins like meat and chicken and things of that nature. It doesn't mean you never have a steak. Um, you know, if you ask my husband, he'll, he'll, he'll call me a mechanic because as a mechanic doesn't have the, the best car. This dietitian likes to eat her steak and uh, enjoys her, her glass of wine too. But you have to, you know, not do it as regularly as, as you should. Cover your plate with richly covered, uh, colored vegetables and fruit. About half of that plate should be vegetables and fruit. Most Canadians are not con- consuming near enough veggies. And so we need to, you know, strengthen up those messaging, that messaging in the food guide. All right. One last thing, Dr. Thomas, and that is simply, it used to be if you wanted to see if you were eating healthy, there was a bathroom scale. If you stepped on it and you'd put a number 10 onto whatever you used to be, you might want to cut back on some things. Is that still a guideline, the weight that we either put on or lose? To me, Steve, scales belong on fish. I don't, uh, I don't like this, the using weight as a measurement. Um, I know it typically is still used as a measurement. The, the challenge is that when you look at that scale number, typically you feel very, uh, in most cases, if you're a little bit overweight or right, right after uh, our holiday 
celebrations, right? So we probably all packed on a few pounds anyway. And it can be very discouraging for most people. Um, we want to sort of switch things up a, a little bit and be more positive about food. Uh, one of the research projects I'm working on is looking at food literacy. So looking at all the different components of what makes up healthy food literacy, like food skills, um, decisions we're making about food, food knowledge and stuff like that. But it also includes self-efficacy and confidence. It includes things like enjoying our food, sharing it with others, having a positive relationship with food. And I think that when we, when we start to re-engage and, and enjoy our food more often and not be so hard on ourselves for uh, falling off the wagon, if you will, then we develop a better relationship with food overall and it makes it easier to achieve those um, healthy eating principles and guidelines that the Food Guide is recommending. Dr. Thomas, it's been great speaking with you today. Have an excellent afternoon. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. That is Dr. Heather Thomas, Middlesex London Health Unit Public Health Dietitian. So some good tips on stuff, things that we need to hit home a whole lot. We don't eat enough vegetables. Don't worry about the scale. Don't let that bother you. And apparently don't worry about alternatives with your meats. I like that. I didn't know what they were in the first place. News is next with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Earlier on in the show, we were talking about disposable things that cost $1,000, like a phone. If you're in a position where you can afford that, then congratulations. That's, that's a good spot to be, but it's not everybody's spot. And sometimes things that you want to do are not within financial reach. And it's extremely difficult in those cases to ask for help. And when you are a teenager... It is almost doubly difficult because it's like you have a secret and you don't want that secret to get out. And so you may either avoid things or do things differently than you otherwise would to keep that secret. Well, there is a program that has been going on for years in the city of London that we all need to know about. And in fact, we can help with and enjoy ourselves at the same time. It's called the Princess Program. And it is started by Elizabeth Noel, which is a dress shop in London. You can find them on Richmond. And it was started years ago. But before I try and explain how it was started and what the program is all about, who it benefits, why don't we invite Veronica from Elizabeth Noel to join us on London Live? Because she started the program in the first place. Veronica, thanks so much for being with us. We were also talking earlier that winter has definitely arrived, so this is going to be helpful. This will help us get our minds off winter by talking about May and June and prom. Of course. That will melt snow, I hope. I, I don't know if you've seen that happen in the past, but uh, I'm, I'm putting my fingers together because I was the guy yesterday who was rambling on about the fact that winter hadn't arrived and this has been so nice, and then, whoop, this is what so, we so, get. So this is your fault. I'll take the blame. I will right, definitely then. take the blame. <laughs> but if we get to talk about prom, we get to think about normally a, a pretty sunny Thursday or Friday or Saturday night, uh, usually sometime in late May, so that's... That's good. That gives us some nice warm thoughts. Also giving us warm thoughts is what you continue to do. For anybody who doesn't know about the Princess Program, what does it involve? 
So the Princess Program, I started that a few years ago, and basically we try to uh, provide prom or grad dresses for uh, girls or tuxedos for guys or even girls um, that would not have the opportunity to be able to go to prom because they can't afford uh, all the accoutrements. So uh, we basically vet uh, kids that are in need, uh, and we supply them with a dress or a tuxedo and their hair and makeup for their special day. Now that is fantastic. What made you want to start this? You know, I've been doing this for 30 years, and uh, it is disheartening when someone comes in and they look at the racks and they just they can't swing the price uh, because there is pressure to look fantastic at prom. It's one of those uh, social events that every uh, one generally wants to go to. And I, I had a lady in one time that, you know, literally came in, put a dress on layaway for their daughter, um, and came every week with $5 so she could pay it off. And I said, you know, what there's something wrong with that people who need a helping hand i'm here i've got uh all these suppliers and people that can i can reach out to and we're going to make it happen so uh four years ago i started the princess program and we raise money throughout the year and the girls come in or the the fellow will come in and they have a private appointment with me and we suit them up with the dress or tuxedo of their dreams and um, the rest is history. That that woman just made me think twice, and I wanted to give back. Veronica from Elizabeth Noel joining us as we talk about the Princess Program. So how does it work then? Where does the money come from that allows you to then help out people who want to get that dress and can't, or want to go to prom but really can't? Well, uh, we basically, my staff and I, make a point to do a couple events every year, uh, either a fashion show or, or something or a candy bar or people are in fantastic and come and donate money. Uh, and that's what we do all year round. We, we try to do initiatives. We have sweatshirts we sell and sweatpants. And as, as I say, we do events. And I'm really excited to tell you that um, this year is our 50th anniversary and people have always been on me. You know, you have these dresses, let's do an event. So I said, well, if we're going to do an event to celebrate that Elizabeth Noel has been in business for 50 years, we're giving back. So we are having an adult prom for every person who didn't go to prom or had a horrible hairdo or went with a jerk or wants to do it again, we're having an adult prom. It's a 19-plus event, and everything we raise from that is going to the Princess Program so that you're wearing a dress so someone else can have a dress. That is a great idea. Okay, when is this? It is on February 2nd at Bellamere Wineries and Event Center because that's where generally uh, the high schools have the prom. So I said if we're going to have a prom, we've got to make it like a prom. (laughs) <laughs> so we're having it at Bellamere Wineries, and it's at uh, 7.30 uh, start time. And, I mean, I'm excited to tell you what's all involved. Well, I'd, I'm excited to hear it. I think everybody else right. is, too. I'm thinking this could so, be a date so night. So we're having, um, let's see, we're having hors d'oeuvres all night. We're having flaming donuts, because my theory is if a donut is on fire, there's no calories. So I'm really excited about those. I'm going to have a few of those. We're having dancing. Um, we are having uh, drag queens come as prom queens to mingle with everyone and do a show. Uh, we're having swag bags, uh, wine toast to celebrate our 50th, and everyone needs a prom photo. So we're having prom photos in that package as well. We're talking with Veronica from Elizabeth Noel, adult prom. So if you never went, or as Veronica outlined, probably more realistic to say, if you went but things didn't go your way, you can do it all again. Give us the date again on that. 
That is February 2nd. February 2nd. So Groundhog Day, celebrate mm-hmm. the finding out of whether or not we get more of this winter stuff in the morning, and then later at night, you can go to Adult Prom. How does somebody get tickets? So you, are, you can uh, ca- call us at Elizabeth Noel, um, but we also have tickets available on Eventbrite. And we just search Adult Prom London for that? Yes, we do. Okay, Adult Prom. So if they go to our, our Facebook page, you can um, jump right on to the Eventbrite. Okay, excellent. And you had mentioned an interesting word when talking about this event. You use the word proceeds, and then you use the word all. All proceeds will go to the Princess Program. That's right. Anything that we raise over and above, um, you know, the event is going straight to the Princess Program. So Elizabeth Noel is not keeping any of the money. It's all going into a slush fund uh, so that hopefully we can help even more kids this year. We've been approached by the Cross-Cultural Learner Center and a couple of other associations that have heard about what we do. So we're really hoping to make a big bang so that we can help even more kids. How big have you seen this grown, Veronica? Oh, gosh. We, have, uh, we started off the first year with helping, I think, six kids. And over the last, uh, the other three years, we've done 74. 74. Well, let's see if we can do even more this year. Is the demand there to do more? Oh, we've already been approached. We've been approached since September already. And the reason we're talking with the Cross-Cultural Learner Center is because they've had um, some uh, people reach out to them that are new Canadians that are of that age, and they're already thinking about how they're going to swing it. So, um, again, it's all word of mouth, and we've even had a couple of principals already from different schools approach us and say, hey, if this kid is not in children's aid but I know they're in need, can I vet them? And absolutely, as much funds as we have. And I'll be honest with you, um, some years the money has come out of my pocket, and that's okay. That's my, that's my thing, and I, I want to provide. And so usually anyone who contacts us, we, we try not to say no. Thanks for doing what you do, and thanks for the information on this. Saturday, February 2nd, Adult Prom. You can go and fix all of what went wrong the first time, and you can help out the Princess Program at the same time. Head to the Elizabeth Noel Facebook page, go to Eventbrite, and search it there, and get your tickets. Veronica, thanks so much for the time. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you for spreading the word, and I hope we'll see you there. i got to check the night schedule. That's what I have to do. Are the nights playing that night? Otherwise... That's a date night. I have to check. Veronica from Elizabeth Noel. That sounds fun, because I screwed up one of my proms. I Dance with the one who brung you, right? Huh? That's a good tip. Next up, Abigail Beeman is going to join us, and we will talk about something that she has been working on for a little while now with regard to Aboriginal healing lodges. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Thanks for being with us. Let's look right now at a story that has certainly had a lot of development to it. It goes all the way back to maybe the day you found out that Terry Lynn McClintock, convicted in the killing of Tory Stafford, had been transferred to an Aboriginal healing lodge. Well, that sparked quite a few things, including a march to Parliament Hill, including a transfer of Terry Lynn McClintock away from an Aboriginal healing lodge. But... Our reporters, Global News, have stayed on the story of the Aboriginal Healing Lodge. And joining us right now is Global National reporter Abigail Beeman. Abigail, thanks so much for taking some time for us. Absolutely. Good afternoon. Tell us a little bit about what you're focusing in on these days when it pertains to Aboriginal Healing Lodges. 
Right. So the question that a number of us had when this information came out about Terry Lynn McClintock um, and, you know, two of her family members told us she's not Indigenous, uh, aside from the uproar over a child killer being in an Indigenous healing lodge, there were a lot of questions about how somebody who's not Indigenous is in an Indigenous healing lodge. So Global News uh, had to submit an access to information request. The government didn't just, you know, hand over these statistics to us, but we just got this information back. And what it shows is that since 2011, on average, 15%, 1-5% of offenders in Indigenous healing lodges are not Indigenous. And those are some of the answers that I was particularly interested in painting a full picture of just who is using these spots, which were originally designed specifically for Indigenous offenders. And that's because uh, back in 1990, a task force uh, deemed that, that traditional prison programming doesn't work for Indigenous offenders, and what's still very true today in 2019, that Indigenous Indigenous offenders are overrepresented in the prison system. There are not a lot of beds in the healing lodges right across the country. So to me, it was interesting to find out how many of those beds are being taken up by non-Indigenous offenders. Abigail, when you were able to see some of those numbers, what was your reaction? I, I wasn't surprised because I've heard through my reporting that there are, and obviously McClintic is one example, but I, I've heard through my reporting that there are non-Indigenous people in these Indigenous healing lodges. Uh, I wanted a number to quantify that. And uh, from the experts that I've spoken to, many say 15%. They're not surprised. Um, it, it's useful to see that data, but that they, they thought that's about what it was. So, you know, it's obviously in the minority, but I think important to stress that these are places designed for Indigenous people. We're talking with Abigail Beeman, Global News National Reporter. We're talking about new information that was acquired using the Access to Information Act about Aboriginal healing lodges. Uh, well, you've been able to see this happen quite a bit, Abigail, where reporting will all of a sudden put something into the public sphere and then there are outcomes. There can be consequences. In this case, do you expect anything to come out of now this being in the public eye? Uh, well, we heard from the public safety minister. We got a response from the minister's office today uh, in response to our reporting. One thing to note is he says, uh, or his office said, that it's incorrect to say that these beds are being taken away from an Indigenous person who, who might need them uh, because there are currently vacancies in healing lodges. Well, I, if, I, if I may, I would just uh, a point on that issue. Um, people who work with Indigenous offenders tell me that's because there's a different problem of uh, Indigenous offenders with too high a classification. They're classified as, let's say, maximum security, uh, and these Indigenous healing lodges are only for people with medium or minimum security classification. So th- that aside, that, that's what he said in response um, to this report. But also something um, of note through this story as it developed was that the public minister, safety minister came out and made changes to how uh, inmates are, how transfers of inmates to Indigenous healing lodges are handled. So now there, it has to be approved at a much higher level. Uh, and there are more uh, issues being taken into consideration. But the reason I'm telling you all this now in terms of today's story is that the minister's response to us also said that uh, there will be more Indigenous involvement in those transfers. Now, that is an issue that uh, people in the Indigenous community brought up in terms of Terry Lynn McClintic. When that healing lodge opened uh, back in, I believe, 95, a board of Indigenous elders and uh, members of the community decided exactly 
who is going to get into that healing lodge. So there has been criticism over the years that that power has been taken away from the Indigenous people for whom uh, this, these lodges were designed, and that CSC is making the decisions rather than an Indigenous person or a panel of, uh, of elders or experts who may know best. So in his comments to us today, uh, the, the Public Safety Minister's office says that the new changes also include some greater role in terms of the Indigenous community making those decisions. We've gone back to him and asked for some clarification as to what exactly that means, and, and, and we'll have an update. But that's something that I think it's good that this has been put back into the public eye, because, or put into the public eye in the first place, because I think a lot of people uh, have no idea, you know, how these healing launches run. Um, but, but this has thrust this issue of, of who gets to make the decisions of who's going into these lodges. Um, I think that, uh, that we might see more on that. Yeah, at the beginning, I don't think a lot of people knew that Aboriginal no. healing lodges existed. I didn't. No, absolutely, uh, and and part of that is that there's just there, there aren't a lot of beds uh, in in these places. They're not huge facilities uh, like a much larger traditional jail, you know, with multiple security classifications. The one, I, I, if anybody saw the pictures of of uh, the one that McClintock was at, it's in a very remote area, uh, you know, very far from. Uh, it's not something that you're going to drive by every day. So certainly, um, more information in the spotlight. It's been important to me through the through the months reporting on this to uh, to make it clear that uh, this is still a CSC run, a corrections run facility. I think there was this I think a, um, a misconception that this was a get out of jail free card and certainly it's not the same as a traditional cell but there are you know rules and regulations and programming and strip searches and, and the things that you would expect of somebody who is federally incarcerated. Abigail can't thank you enough. Abigail is a great follow on Twitter. You can find her at Abigail Beeman. That's B-I-M-M-A-N. Keep up the great work. Can't wait to see what else you come up with on this story. Thanks so much. Take care. Okay, bye. Bye. That is Abigail Beeman, Global News National Reporter out of Ottawa. And let's face it, that's that's what the media is for. We do a lot of things. We try and entertain. But when you boil it down, if you have information like this that is coming out, and that's what happened in this case, and you can find out that, wait a minute, This is what's being done. Someone who does not have indigenous heritage, in fact, no ties whatsoever, can apply. And we're not seeing a committee that is of any indigenous nature taking care of this and making decisions about this. Are you kidding me? We're sending people to an aboriginal healing lodge and it's just the Department of Corrections looking at a piece of paper and saying... Yeah, okay. Yeah, we got a bed there. This person wants to go there. Are they medium security? Yeah, okay. All right, they check the boxes. There you go. Process this. That's what we had, isn't it? Maybe I'm making a little bit of a lighter picture than it actually was. I don't know, though. There wasn't a lot of thought put into this. I don't, where do you have to be? I know that because Tory Stafford was from Woodstock, maybe it stands out a little bit more to us. But... How could you not follow the news and know the name Terry Lynn McClintock? And you see when that comes across your desk, ooh, this might create an issue for us. Let me take this to a supervisor. How does that not happen? And I still don't know why that didn't happen in this case. Great reporting from Global News and Abigail Beeman. Let's take a break. We'll let you know what's still to come on London Live. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Coming up in hour two of the show, Nick Vannon is a name that you may know. 
played for the Western Mustangs last year, the year before, going back a bit. What you may not know about him is that he is in med school and has just been named a top eight academic All-Canadian. We'll meet him. He's a great story. That comes up in about 40 minutes from now. Another great story, Walt McKechnie, inducted into the Don Brankley London Knights Hall of Fame. And he's a great story because he tells great stories. He's going to join us, and we'll do some hockey storytelling that will take us from 1960-something right on through to, well, even today. Because there he was, involved in the hockey world yesterday, becoming one of the first inductees of the Don Brankley London Knights Hall of Fame. He was also the first ever pick of the Toronto Maple Leafs in the NHL amateur draft and then didn't play for them right away. Eventually did. But Walt McKechnie will join us in about 10 minutes' time. Next, Jacqueline LaBelle, News. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. The OHL trade deadline comes up tomorrow. One has already passed. That was for overage players, but comes up tomorrow, and there has been an awful lot of movement. The Knights did just make another trade. This has seen them trade Sergei Popov to the Owen Sound attack for a sixth-round pick in 2022. So that has just taken place. Knights trading Sergei Popov to Owen Sound for a sixth-round pick in 2022. And that's a case of a guy needing ice time, kind of like when Andrew Parrott went to Owen Sound. So the attack have some openings because of moves that they have made. If you missed it earlier, lots of area connections in a trade that finally did take place between the Owen Sound attack and the Guelph Storm. Nick Suzuki, a Londoner, former junior knight, joins another junior knight in Londoner, Isaac Ratcliffe, in Guelph. And also involved in that, Zach Roberts, who has family in Port Stanley. Mark Woolley goes from Guelph to Owen Sound. He's from St. Thomas. So loads of area connections, lots of movement happening. And right now, here's the way it shapes up. You want to know who's good? Here it comes. In the West, London, Guelph, Sault Ste. Marie, Saginaw. Expect one of those teams to go really, really far. Note that the London Knights are in that mix. In the East... The Ottawa 67s are good. Niagara is good. And then you've got other teams that are certainly in the mix, and you wonder how things are going to work out. Oshawa has made some interesting moves. They seem to trade guys away, and then they bring in guys that make you think they're competing, and then you think, well, no, they're trading people away, and then they bring in guys who make them competitive again. They're still there. And when you have a goaltender like Yuko Pekka-Lukkanen in Sudbury, he won Finland a gold medal at the World Juniors. I know that there were other players who scored goals. He was outstanding. And he plays for the Sudbury Wolves. So this will be a fun postseason. And what looked like a nice, not breezy walk through the Western Conference has all of a sudden started looking like the weather that we've had recently. It's not... It's not awful, but uh, let's face it. We're having to walk around puddles and slush, and you get that salt on your shoes. The Western Conference, at least, is a little bit like that right now in the OHL. We have an opportunity to speak with a man who yesterday became part of the inaugural class 
the Don Brankley London Knights Hall of Fame, a guy who knows a thing or two about playoff hockey, a guy who knows a thing or two about playing in the old Ontario Arena in London. Did anyone have a chance to go there? Well, please welcome to London Live Hall of Fame inductee, 16-year National Hockey Leaguer, a member of the London Nationals before they became the London Knights, Mr. Walt McKechnie. Walt, congratulations on yesterday. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, it was a great day. Now, you are headed back to cottage country, I would imagine? Yeah, I'm just about to uh, wing them, uh, and it's really blowing, but i just taking my time, and uh, hopefully I'll be home in about four hours. Okay, well, if you have to go at any point because of any particular snow squall, you just let us know. No, I, I'm fine. It's, uh, I'm, just, I, I'm okay. The roads aren't bad. It's just blowing. Well, what was yesterday like for you? Uh, first of all, it, it was um, when I got the phone call from Rick Doyle and Dave Del Papa to tell me that uh, I was being inducted. I was, it was just a great honor. And uh, I know that uh, going down there yesterday that the Hunters, uh, uh, Dale and Mark and the, their whole organization and all the alumni, I know that they would do such a first-class job, but they outdid themselves. It was just so first-class and, it was such a great honor uh, for me to be there, and I, I was with a lot of my um, ex-London Nationals were around me, and you know, and I, I I'm there for those guys. I, I was, they were a part of me, and I was a part of them, and it, it was just great. I, I just can't emphasize it enough. I, I'm very, very honored. Well, when we go back to your time as a London National, you did get to play in Ontario <laughs> Arena. Is there a way to describe what the ice surface was like there? Because I've heard it's not regulation size. It was, uh, uh, well, let's exaggerate. We'll say it's very small. <laughs> and uh, around the, the bottom, the dasher board, whatever they call it, it was cement. Okay. So how, and, uh, how far up did the cement come? Uh, maybe, you know, six inches. Okay. Uh, yeah. So you tried not to hit your skates, uh, blades of your skates along that. But um, it, it was a great old building. Um, I, I surely uh, wasn't going to complain uh, being 14 years old and went out there for a skate uh, one day with a bunch of my other uh, Bantam buddies. And uh, we were just trying to get some ice time and so uh, I wasn't going to complain about uh, the arena, that's for sure. And, you know, to be picked for the team, it was, it was awesome. We're talking with Walt McKechnie, an inductee into the Don Brankley London Knights Hall of Fame yesterday, part of the inaugural class and also a member of the London Sports <laughs> Hall of Fame. Uh, Talked to Bill Billington yesterday, and, and to take your career back even before the Ontario Arena, he was talking about a hockey league that was put together in elementary school. I can't remember the last time we had elementary school hockey, but he thought he had a great team going, and then all of a sudden he looked over, and there you were on the other side. Yeah, he came up to me uh, last night and, and brought that story up and you know, and said that uh, they had a little bit of problems containing me. Uh, um, it was, I was playing for Ryerson Public School then, and uh, Robbie Nash was our coach, and we had Johnny Walker and Gordy McNutton and, uh, oh, I could go on and on. Um, uh, this sounds like a junior Peterson. team. Yeah, it was. We had, we had a good team, and uh, it wasn't just me, but 
We, we, I must admit, we did kick their butts pretty good. <laughs> well, eventually you got to play for the London Nationals, and, and from there you wound up being drafted in the first ever NHL amateur draft. This was before they even <laughs> called it the NHL entry draft, but you went sixth overall to the Toronto Maple Leafs. If we think of the draft right now, we think of a big stage and we think of an NHL city and a lot of pomp and a lot of circumstance. That first draft, how was that handled? Well, first of all, I didn't even know what was going on. And uh, my mother and my grandmother and my sister and I, we all lived together and up at 1011 Adelaide Street for a long time. And uh, I mean, we, we, we weren't uh, informed of anything until I got a phone call from Bob Davison, the chief scout of the Toronto Maple Leafs, who called to tell my mother that I'd been drafted and that they wanted to come around to talk to me and explain to me, my, my mother and I, what was going on. So to make a long story short, they come over, and they uh, sat there with my mom and myself, and I think my sister was even there, Kathy, and, and they said that uh, <clears throat> we drafted your son. He's now property of the Toronto Maple Leafs. He signs his C form, and uh, they gave my mom uh, $100, and uh, from that day forward, I was property of the Toronto Maple Leafs. They, I played quite a bit of uh, other sports. I, I used to play. I played a lot of hardball in the uh, Eager Beaver League in London, which is a great league. Played at McMahon Park there, and um, for the Braves. And then I, uh, I, high school quarterback. I was quarterback, and I loved all sports. But they said to me right there that day, they said to my mother and I, uh, we'd really appreciate it if you just concentrated on hockey. So I basically, uh, I did that. And all the other sports go to the side, but that's okay because it eventually did lead you to the NHL and, again, a 16-year career. We're talking with Walt McKechnie, but you didn't break in with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Was that kind of finding out about the business of the NHL pretty early on? Yeah, I, um, I, I, I found out, needless to say, that uh, you were just kind of moved around up and down. And, uh, I, my rights were traded. I, they sent me out to Phoenix at the old Western Hockey League, which is a great league. A lot of older veteran players who were great players. There was more teams in the NHL. A lot of them would have been in the NHL. Of course, there's only six. Um, that year when I turned pro, it did go to 12. But um, they they took me under their wing, just like when I turned uh, junior when I was 14. All the older players helped me out so much. And uh, so it was a great league. But then after a month into the league, my rights were traded to the Minnesota North Stars, and that's where I started uh, – uh, going up and down and uh, spent four years in that organization. Now, at least Minnesota had that hockey culture. It's a great hockey state. Not long after that, you wind up going to the California Golden Seals. That wasn't the time when they had the white skates, was it? Oh, yeah, I had a pair of those babies. Yes, I did. Now, and I, I, I had a very unusual pair, too. Uh, I never tied my skates very tight uh, at all. So I, I had um, somebody come up with an idea with Velcro, and, and, and I, I had Velcro uh, skates, uh, like for, for, for skate laces, I had Velcro. And that, that kept them on your feet? Yes, yes. I, I played for a couple of years with them. So did Butch Goring play with them. Now, there's a story, Walt. You, you'll have to, you know, we can get the story from you. If we wanted white skates for a team these days, or if you want white gloves, if, if you want pink gloves, you just call the manufacturer and you say, hey, here's what we're doing. We need a set of pink gloves. And they arrive a short time later after the manufacturer has made them. We've heard that back when California was deciding on white skates, 
it was more of not call the manufacturer, call the paint company. Did they actually just paint those things? You know, it, it's it's really hard to believe, but our trainer, uh, who's, uh, I, I, if I remember correctly, Barry Keast, he was uh, had a full-time job painting our skates. And and uh, Charlie O wanted them, he didn't want any uh, uh, like uh, black uh, tape marks or puck marks or any, anything on. So every game, he had to paint our skates. Well, geez, you can just imagine us wearing them, and they're wet, and, um, and the amount of paint that he had to put on them. Well, after about three or four months, the skates were so heavy, you could hardly, put, you hardly lift your legs up. But, uh, no, Charlie O was a different cat. He gave us these big green and gold suitcases, uh, Kelly Green blazers, uh, took us to New York, bought us Gucci shoes, <clears throat> and he, uh, he he was just a character. Uh, like we had a good young team there too, but then the WHA came in and he wouldn't sign any players. Well, you went from the Golden Seals, who eventually <laughs> stopped being the Golden Seals and, and moved on, to playing with Bobby Orr in Boston. When you wound up in Boston, what's it like to walk into a dressing room, look up, and, well, I guess this guy's my teammate? Well, you know, you're just in awe, totally in awe. And Bobby is such a humble man. He's, you know, but he's, he's, one, he's one of the uh, few, um, like, I, I've got a lot of good friends. I have a great, you know, bond and feeling with, but... Bobby Orr, when he walks in the room, and if I'm in the room, I, I kind of get goosebumps. He's, he's got that electricity. He's such a classy man, and it was such an honor and thrill to play with him. Um, he's, he's such a competitor, and to me, he's still the, the greatest player ever. Walt McCackney with us as we talk hockey stories, relive some memories. I don't know if this factors into the memory, because I'm not sure exactly when, but there is a video that is well circulated and it is of Bobby Orr playing for the Bruins playing against the California Golden Seals where he's behind his own net and somebody bumps him and he loses a glove and he he goes down the ice and he takes the puck around behind the net without a glove and then he's got no opening so he actually skates all the way back down the ice puts the glove back on and then goes through everybody again and scores were you any part of that okay um that that story is fairly true I'll, I'll try to run it by you really quick. It was in Atlanta at, at the Omni, and uh, I wasn't with the Bruins then, but I played it with the Bruins after that, and the guy told me the story. He was killing a penalty five on three. Uh, he stick-handled through the whole team, um, but he lost his uh, – he, he, he went into their end, and then he came back out of their end, and he was going back to his own end, and in that time they knocked one of his gloves off. He stopped behind his net. Stick handled back out through the center ice zone, picked up his glove, went in and deked the goal defenseman, deked the goalie, uh, Danny Bouchard, I think it was, and um, incredible. The Atlanta Flames, the Bruins are all standing up. The people are all standing. He skated right off the ice, right to the end of the bench. And uh, Frosty, the goal, the uh, trainer, he knew to put a towel over his head. And I said to Cash when he was telling me the story when I got there, so well, why did he do that? He said. He was mad at himself because he had embarrassed the Atlanta team so bad. Really? That's the, that's the truth story about Bobby Orr. That's so, the type of guy he was. So against when, the... When I, uh, no, go ahead, sorry. The Bruins, when I played with Boston there, if we were up 5-1 going into the third period against a weaker team, he hardly played the third period. 
he, he never wanted to run the score up or embarrass people or anything like that. I mean, and, and, and the Bruins themselves, too, like, if, if, you're, if they were playing against, uh, say, us, the California Golden Seals, they wouldn't beat the hell out of us, you know, even though they were up 5-1 or in fights and everything like that. They'd back right off. You know, they'd still play competitive, but nothing uh, like some other teams would. Walt McKechnie with us, talking about the class of Bobby Orr. You were drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Eventually, you got to play with the Toronto Maple Leafs. <coughs> Going full circle like that, what was that like? Uh, just a dream come true. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in London, uh, sitting in front of the black and white TV with uh, my peanut butter and tea at night, watching the uh, Saturday night, watching the Toronto Maple Leafs, and dreaming about being a Toronto Maple Leaf. That's all, man. I, you know, it's like so many kids do. And, um, you know, I was very, I was very dedicated and passionate and, and committed and the, the bit of talent I had, I, I, I just kept working at my game and I, I was like obsessed with it. And, uh, matter of fact, when I got, finally got asked to leave high school, cause I was not a very good student, uh, doing the assignments and that my, my mom, of course, was very upset. And, and I, I, I said to mom, don't worry, I'm going to play in the national league. And she knew enough. She said, well, there's only six teams, 120 players. I said, Mom, don't worry, I'm going to get there. And uh, I, I just had tremendous drive. And uh, when I finally got to be a Toronto Maple Leaf, oh, my goodness. Uh, I used to get down to the gardens there in the morning. Uh, if we were on the ice at 10, I'd be in the gardens at 8, 8, 15, just walking around in the building, you know, just living the dream. And whenever I speak to young kids, I told a lot of the kids last night in the line when we were going by there and we were shaking hands, I told the kids there, I said, keep having fun and dream big. And that's what I uh, try to tell kids because, you know, they say, oh, I, I'll never make it. Yeah, you can make it. You just got to dream big. Be dedicated. Well, you played for 16 years in the NHL. What do you look at and say, that's how I did it? That's how I was able to stay in the NHL as long as I did? Uh, I, I, I think I have a tremendous drive, and I think I get that from my mother. Um, like, uh, she was such a big part of my life. And... Um, that's the only sad thing about last night, her not being there. <clears throat> but uh, I, I have tremendous drive. I mean, I, I hate being told no. And um, I, I was so committed and dedicated, and I had a lot of great help. There was a gentleman up, uh, he had a variety store up at Cheapside uh, um, <clears throat> and uh, William, I think it was, uh, Webb's Variety, Mr. Jack Webb. He was kind of my mentor, and he helped me so much and helped my mom out. He drove me everywhere. When I was a peewee, I played on five teams, and and that's how possessed and obsessed I was. I played peewee, traveling peewee team, bantam, bantam traveling team, and midget hockey. So you, you can imagine the amount of hockey I played. No doubt. But and look what so, it did for you. Yeah, well, you know, like, I, I watched some of the kids out there last night that are the, the really the good ones uh, – that just come back from playing uh, and for the you know our, our our junior team and that or and you know this, their effort didn't look like it was there. You can't take anything for granted. I mean, I played almost a thousand games. I didn't play any easy ones. Dale Hunter and I were talking about it last night after the game. I said, Dale, you know, kids don't realize every game's a tough game. You got to come ready to play. Don't don't assume. I guess, Walt, can we ask you to leave us with a story that illustrates that even more? You got to a training camp maybe later on in your career 
and you found that your equipment was being set up not in the main dressing room where guys who were probably just going to walk onto the team and make it, but it was in another dressing room. What happened then? Yeah, uh, that I'd say the last uh, you know two or three years of my career, they they weren't counting on me. And you know, unfortunately, I got a bad rap. Um, I, I used to speak out. I, I I'm, I'm like all you know guys, but hockey players are pretty competitive people, and, and and I'm pretty super competitive. I hate losing. I hate incompetence. So I used to speak my mind. Got me in a little bit of trouble, but I never regret it. But um, so by the end of my, you get near the end of my career, they were definitely trying to find a way to get rid of me. Uh, but I had such determination. I knew going into training camp what the roster was who the young guys were coming up to take my job. And uh, I, I, I just said, well, you're going to take it. You're going to have to earn it. And uh, I'd go there and just work my tail off. And I'd work my – those last few years there, I'd work my way back into those dressing rooms. And uh, I didn't uh, look at it as a slight. I, that's just the way the business is. You know, you get older, they, they have to replace you. But I, I, I definitely defied the odds there. I, I kept hanging around. Well – Walt, we appreciate you hanging around with us this afternoon to tell some hockey stories. All the best, and again, congratulations on being a part of the inaugural class of the Don Brankley London Knights Hall of Fame. Well, I, I really uh, appreciate you giving me this time to express myself. London's always my home. I, I have great feelings for London. My, I, my sister, Daffy's uh, there, and her husband, Dick, and cousins, Jeff Wilson, and different people. I, I, I just love London, but I've my place spend a lot of time. I don't spend enough time there, and um, I really appreciate you calling me. And call me anytime if you need to fill in. I, I got lots of hockey stories. <laughs> well, we're going to take you up on that, all right? Call me anytime, pal. <laughs> take care. Thanks for the time. That is Walt McKechnie. Amazing, amazing guy. An amazing career. And last night, just watching him during the anthem, I, the look on his face, I wish I could show it to you right now on the radio. Just the pride that was there on his face to be back standing. The Canadian anthem is playing, and he is there as an inductee into the Don Brankley London Knights Hall of Fame. Let's take a quick break. Up next, we'll let you know what we have in store over our last 30 minutes. London Live is not done yet. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Coming up, we're going to speak with another inspirational guy, Nick Vannon is going to join us, named a top eight academic All-Canadian. Balancing med school, winning a Vanier Cup with the Mustangs. Yeah, he's done that. He'll tell some stories, too. Next, Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News, 980 CFPL. Coming up, Nick Vannon is going to join us. You know what I haven't seen yet? Donald Trump. I had a hockey game last night where I was broadcasting the Knights in the Storm. I didn't get home till about 11.30, and I'd been to Sky Zone the day before. Have you ever been to Sky Zone? I love Sky Zone. And you just have to be ready for the next day, especially if you're getting to be an old guy like me. I fell off the Ninja Warrior course. Um, there's some pain attached to it. There's certainly some fatigue. So I just went to bed. I didn't look back and watch whatever Trump had said in his address. 
And today I haven't had a chance to do that. Can somebody fill me in on what you thought? Because the only thing I have right now, and everybody who loves Donald Trump and hates when I talk about Donald Trump, I had somebody walk up to me at a Knights game and say, stick to hockey, because I'd been talking about Donald Trump. Uh, that there would be a list of things that Donald Trump had done that were positive. I'm waiting for that list. I haven't seen it anywhere. Uh, but I'm interested to know what you think of what Donald Trump said in his address last night. Because right now, all we've got is this tweet that says billions of dollars are sent to the state of California for forest fires that with proper management, forest fires would never happen unless they get their act together, which is unlikely. I've ordered FEMA to send no more money. It's a disgraceful situation in lives and money. I, I'm confused. That comes from the President of the United States and his Twitter account. Now, I know he wasn't talking about that last night, but that's, that shouldn't be on any list. I need to see this list of, of what this guy has done that's good. But if you can synopsize what he was talking about last night and whether or not it was you know, a speech that will one day go into a book of great speeches, I'd love to know. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca. In the meantime... We are going to talk about a pretty wild accomplishment. And a lot of times, this tends to go unnoticed. You know, we will celebrate championships in sport. We will celebrate uh, big earnings. But sometimes what we lack in celebration comes down to recognizing people who are doing it right, who have found the way to do it Right. Would they be the MVP of a game? Not necessarily. But what they are doing has to be pointed out. And Nick Vannon of the Western Mustangs, he needs to be pointed out. Because this is a guy who's been named a top eight academic All-Canadian. He is going to Ottawa at the end of this month where he's going to be recognized by the Governor General for his accomplishment. And it's because he's been able to balance off academics and athletics and life. You know, most of us don't get over that first hurdle. Let me see. Wayne Gretzky used to say this. You have school, you have hockey, and you have a social life. Pick two. And that's kind of the way it works. Most of us don't get over the life part. Oh, I would do that, but, you know, life. Uh, I'd try a little harder, but, yeah, life. Life is eating up too much of my pie, so I can't work harder. I can't play harder. It's life. It's the, it's the stuff, you know? So what Nick Vannon was able to do was take control of that pie, and he was able to make whatever sacrifices were needed. This guy's in med school now. I hope one day, if I need an operation of some kind, he's the guy at the other end of the scalpel. We'll meet him next. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFBL. If you look at the Western Mustang football team and the success that they have had, being around a team that does well teaches you things not about sport, but about life. If you find someone who is very successful in any part of their life, you know, I talk a lot about job shadows. Maybe we also need life shadows. Maybe that's not a bad thing either. And the people who should be shadowed would look and go, I don't know why you want to follow me around. Um, you know, I did this morning, I put on my pants one leg at a time, uh, 
put on my shoes one foot at a time. I'm no different than anyone else. That's what they would say because they don't see what they're doing as being anything more than anyone else could do. But it's finding the handle on that, and it's pretty inspirational when you get to meet somebody like that. Nick Vannon, member of the Western Mustangs. So think about the success that they have had. If you're part of a, an elite-level program, and we're pretty lucky in this city to have those examples. We talked about the London Knights recently. That's an elite-level program. That's a program. Chris Taylor was inducted into the Don Brankley London Knights Hall of Fame. And one of the things that he mentioned, and you can go to our Facebook page at 980CFPL, and you can actually see the Facebook Live from yesterday and the induction ceremony that took place. One of the things that he talked about, because he is the head coach of the Rochester Americans in the American Hockey League, he has guys who come out of all kinds of different programs. And he says the ones that come out of the London Knights program, obviously they've got a bond, so they wind up talking. But he says they just absolutely glow about it and can't say enough about it because it's an elite-level program, because of what you learn. And he looks at them and, and sees just how prepared they are for what is to come, not just in hockey, but in life. The Western Mustangs do exactly the same thing with their football program. You're not just creating athletes. You are creating people. And to watch what they do, that brings all kinds of perspective. Nick Vannon is a guy who is somebody that, that needs the accolades that he is getting. Uh, he is somebody who just finished up his third year on the Western Mustang football team, and he's been to two Vanier Cups. He's won one of them, but his life goes alongside that in another way. This guy's not just there to play football. He is there at Western University to get things done. He's in med school right now, and this past week, he was named a top eight academic All-Canadian, and that comes with an award from the Governor General. Let's meet Nick Vannon, shall we? Welcome to London Live. Nick, congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate that. Look at this. Her Excellency, the Right Honorable Julie Payette, Governor General of Canada, is going to be honoring you and seven others on January the 29th. I mean, can you put into perspective how big this is in your mind? Honestly, I'm still at a bit of a loss for words, even though I found out a couple of weeks ago. It's pretty surreal. Well, we've got to outline kind of what it is to earn an honor like this, because it's one thing to be a varsity athlete. It's another thing to excel in school at a university level in a tough level program. It's completely different to do both of these things at the same time. Uh, you can probably write a, a little how-to book on this. How do you do it? Oh, I don't know if I'm the best person. We can also always ask the other seven people that are up there. But um, I think, honestly, it goes back to my parents instilling a really good work ethic in me from a very young age and sort of prioritizing in my mind what had to get done first in terms of, you know, academics um, and things like that. And undergrad prepared me really well to be able to do it kind of at the medical school level. And it's all about, I guess, doing something you're passionate about, it'd be pretty brutal if I wasn't interested in the program I was in or I was playing a sport I didn't enjoy or I was in the community doing things I was being forced to do. So finding joy in them makes it 
less of a chore necessarily and more of an activity I look forward to. Man, that is an attitude you could bottle as well because there are a lot of people who go through med school and go, oh, I can't believe this is so hard. So, this, is, this is the worst. You seem to actually enjoy doing it. If, if you can pick one specialty to go to, have you selected one yet? No, I haven't yet. Just to find a way into the medical world. Is that the goal right now? Well, I'm in medical school now, and I think I want to go down the surgical path. That's sort of what got me into medicine to begin with. However, there's a lot of different specialties you can sort of choose from, and I don't think I've narrowed it down quite yet, but that's, I think, where I'm headed. You got time. You got time. Nick Vannon joining mm-hmm. us from the Western Mustang football team. Named to the group of the top eight academic All-Canadians, and that means eight across the country. He'll be honored at Rideau Hall in Ottawa on January the 29th. Football itself, I mean, you look at the sport that you play, and there are always medical concerns with that. Have you ever learned anything along the way that made you think, yeah, this, this football thing, uh, maybe, uh, maybe I want to pull the reins on that a little bit? I mean, sure, you hear about it, and it is a contact sport, and there's a lot of injuries inherent with it, but, you know, thankfully, I hope I can serve as an example that it's not as dangerous, maybe, as it seems. I was able to come out of it pretty well off, thankfully, and in terms of thinking about it while I was playing, I don't think there's room for it. You know, if you're thinking about getting hurt, you're playing slower, and then you probably are going to get hurt. (laughs) So when you go out there, it's to play your best, to have fun, to win, and once you take that kind of second-guessing out of it, you're not slowing down, I think injuries go down quite a bit. You've been part of some teams that have done an awful lot of winning. The Mustangs have not lost a regular season game since very early on in 2016. You won a Vanier Cup. Getting to those levels, what's that done for you? Getting to those levels, well, I think first and foremost, it's opened a lot of doors. Uh, Even in the medical community, you know, I've come into a lot of doctors or staff who have been shadowing for the day and they're like hey like you guys just won the vanity cup right like that's super cool last time i was that happened i was in school and it's just another conversation piece and on top of that it's obviously brought me a lot closer to my teammates and given us some great memories i got to finish my career with a lot of my friends that are now pro and things like that and they'll still send me a text with a highlight that comes up of that game and they'll be like how unbelievable is this? We got to finish our career this way. And these are guys who, you know, are moving on to do other things, guys who are in the CFL right now. Coach Greg Marshall always tells a great story about the Vanier Cup win in the fourth quarter. You guys had a lead, and Laval, I think, was third and one or third and two, and it was just a situation where if they were going to get back in the game, they had to go for it, and they sent out their punt team. And he looks over and he says, this is it? They've... They're punting. When did you realize? Do you remember a moment that you you realized, hey, this this is it, this is ours? I think, actually, it might have been at the same moment Coach is talking about. You Obviously, you don't want to, at any point in the game, think it's over before it is. Um, I don't know if you can recall, we learned that the hard way when we lost to Laurier the previous year, and we were up by quite a bit, and they came back. But at that point in the game, I think I looked over at the guys and I said, you know, it's three down territory. They have to go for it. And they brought the punt team. And I looked over and I said, oh, man, they're punting. I can't believe they're punting. And I think that was sort of the moment where, like, okay, we just got to run this out. This is it. Amazing. Well, 
Nick, before we let you go, for anybody who is is looking to balance something like school, like a varsity sport, looking back on what you went through, any tips that you could give to them or anything you'd like to tell them? Sure. Uh, the first one, make sure it's something you like to do. Like I mentioned earlier, it would have been a lot tougher if I didn't enjoy what I was seeing in school or I didn't enjoy uh, going to practice or going out into the community. And second of all, maybe most importantly, realize that you're going to need to sacrifice something. Sacrifices are going to need to be made, and it's not going to be pleasant at that time when you're doing it. But when you can get to where you want to go and look back, you honestly can say, at least from my experience, that it was all 100% worth it, and I would do it again. You've got a fantastically inspirational story. You've got such a bright future. Nick, can't, can't wait to see where it takes you. Thanks so much for the time. Congratulations, and enjoy January 29th. Thanks for having me. appreciate it. Nick Fannin of the Western Mustangs. Top eight, academic, all-Canadian. And if you missed it earlier, January 29th, he'll be in Ottawa, where he will receive an award from the Governor General. Let's take a break. One more break. We have news coming up at 3 o'clock. You'll get all of the day's latest stories with Jacqueline LaBelle. We've got sports. We've got weather with John Wilson. We'll find out exactly how things look. We do have some flurries in and around the area. If you missed Walt McKechnie earlier on the show, he was up around Wingham. So if you're headed north, yeah, it was snowing. And it wasn't all that dicey, but winter's here, right? We'll enjoy it. We'll love it. They're loving it at Boulder Mountain. A story before we go when we return. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Coming up, news and weather. We'll have traffic for you. Take it easy on the ride home. It looks like, and this goes back to a conversation a little while ago, we need more names for snow. We're getting snow in the area, but what kind of snow are we getting? That looks like that stuff that's really fine, and when it gets on the roadways, it makes things slippery. So take it easy on your drive home. Give yourself a little bit of extra time. A story before we go. Why not one that comes from Florida? Because all kinds of crazy things go on in Florida all the time, and it's warmer there. We can picture Florida. Ever been to St. Petersburg or, or Orlando? Happiest place on earth? Disney keeps ratcheting up the prices. I have no idea how people afford to go to Disney anymore. Some of the costs, some things are going up 25%. How do you raise prices 25% at the already one of the the very expensive places on earth? You have to buy new shoes to go there because you wear out a pair of shoes while you're there. It's worth it. I would not deter anyone from going to Disney, but it's starting to cost an awful lot of money. Here's the thing going on in Florida right now. Fast food workers have decided to protest. There have been strikes in St. Petersburg, in Orlando, and also in Tampa Bay. And they've got a movement started. It's called Fight for $15. And here's their concern. It's not that they're only making $15, or it's not that they want to be making $15. They're concerned for their safety because... There are a number of fast food workers who are subjected to physical violence and other safety threats while on the job in Orlando and St. Petersburg and Tampa Bay. Somebody discovered that there were a lack of straws. So, in other words, they bought a drink 
and they went over to the little straw dispenser. I don't know if it was one of those ones that go bing, 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 bing. And as soon as you touch it once, five straws fall out. Who invented this? Can we not make this work a little bit better? We can all just pick one straw, you know, bing, and five fall out. I'm not sure if that's what it was, but there were a lack of straws, and the customer actually got physically violent. And people are saying it's very emotional to actually do this job because of the threat of violence. Another employee was battered trying to run out of the restaurant after a customer got angry over something they felt was wrong in their food order. What is going on? How are people getting angry over fast food? It's fast food. You didn't have to wait 20 minutes for that. You don't see people sitting down in restaurants who, because the kitchen is busy, might not get their food for 20 minutes. They don't get that irate. Every once in a while, you might have some nitwit who decides, you know, I could get a free meal if I complain. But overall, people will wait. What is it with this? So they're actually having strikes in Florida. Fast food workers. And they have a movement called Fight for $15. And they're hoping for better working conditions out of all of this. Thanks so much to all of our guests today. Walt McKechnie, Abigail Beeman from Global National, uh, Veronica from Elizabeth Noel, Dr. Heather Thomas, really great to have you, Nick Vannon from the Western Mustangs. London Live, brought to you by Winmar, your restoration specialists. If you're looking for things to do because we might be shut in due to the weather, they do renovations as well. Thanks to Matt McKinnis for his help. News is next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFBL.